we're so blessed, aren't we, to have good musicians in our church that sing and worship, help us lead in that part of our worship experience. <clears throat> well, we've been talking about <clears throat> the uh, I am statements in the Bible, uh, and we talked, uh, started out talking about Moses and how, uh, not, not Moses, but uh, excuse me, Abram, how God was going to be his covering, was going to be his shield as he did the things that God called him to do. And then we looked at uh, uh, Jacob uh, in his uh, first I am statement where God said, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to carry you to where you need to be, to cause you to be the person you need to be and, and take you where you need to be. And then we looked at the story of Jacob when he led the people uh, to Bethel where they worshiped and he got renamed. He becomes Israel. Uh, and then today we're going to look at Jacob one more time. And remember in the Bible, Jacob and Israel are interchangeable. So a lot of times the text will say Jacob and then it'll say Israel and then it'll say Jacob and it's the same guy. They'd be like calling me Patrick or hey dad you know, at home. I get called both. I get called other things, but that's another conversation for another day. But, but the reality is we get called different things. And so this is, uh, uh, we're about 400 years uh, past Jacob. Past Jacob, did that just go off? Sounded weird. Um, and the people of God have moved to the land of Goshen. They are the honored guests of the Egyptians. If you remember at the end of Jacob's story, he went down to Egypt and brought the people with him. They brought a whopping 70 to 80 people. What a massive nation they were, right? It wasn't a big group. It was like a, a big uh, family group. And they've been the uh, honored guests of the Egyptians. They're living in the land of Goshen, which is across the river from the main part of what you'd call Egypt today. It was a very uh, good land with lots of, of uh, ability to raise crops and raise animals and those kind of things. But over the years, the leadership of the Egyptians has changed. The population has grown from 70 to 80 people to about 2 million people. And the attitude of the Egyptians has changed towards God's people. In fact, they began to call them the Hebrews. I don't know if you've ever heard the people of God called the Hebrews. That's actually from the time of Egypt when they were from the other side of the river. It's like saying those folks over there, the Hebrews from over across the river. And so they're down over across that area. And if you remember the story, Moses was born uh, into a time when the people uh, who were in leadership in Egypt were wanting to get rid of uh, the men, uh, uh, males in that family uh, and that tribe and that nation because they were becoming, well, too productive. If you take out the guys, it makes it hard to have kids. And so you move on from there. Well, you remember what happened. Moses' mom and sister saved him by putting him in a basket. You all remember that story? Put him in the river and Pharaoh's daughter says, oh, a baby. It's one of their babies, but I'm going to keep it anyway. And daddy will let me. And daddy did let her. And he raised that kid. She raised that kid until he became with the help of his mother, by the way, until he was about 40. Uh, and then he was out one day and he saw the abuse of his people and he kind of reacted. You all remember that story? And killed a guy, buried his body in the sand, perfect crime until the next day. And someone within his nation says, are you going to do to me what you did to him? Uh-oh, the jig's up. He blows town. Boy, I'm really paraphrasing, aren't I? And he ends up with the Midianites uh, for about 40 more years uh, living out there. Now, we're going to look at some of the text along the way as we look at this because what Moses has happened in his life is something that I believe God wants to do in every one of our lives, and it's this. He wants to be our great I am who gives us a vision. You're going a vision to lead God's people out of Egypt? Maybe. Or maybe it's for you to be something else in the kingdom of God that he has just for you. 
I don't want you to see that this morning. So a couple of things about the story and then we'll try to apply it to our lives. The first thing that happens with Moses is this great story from Exodus chapter three, verse one. That's where we're gonna be today in Exodus three. And then Moses encounters supernatural God. He encountered supernatural God. Have you ever encountered the supernatural God? I pray you have. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have encountered supernatural God. Why? Because that's how we come to know Jesus, how we come to know Christ, as he comes and encounters us in our life. But look what happens to Moses. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said... I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your Jacob, a God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, get the picture here. We got an 80-year-old man. Did y'all realize he was 80 years old when all this started? He had spent 40 years living as a kid with a Pharaoh's daughter as, as his mother, living in the land until he committed murder. And then he spends 40 years in the wilderness living with the priest of Midian. He marries one of his daughters, has a couple of kids. That's another 40 years. So here we are, an 80-year-old man. He has escaped Egypt because he's committed murder. He's now tending sheep. Now, for an Egyptian to tend sheep was about the lowest thing you could do. That was nasty. That's what the people on the other side of the river did. And he's in the backside of the wilderness of his pagan father-in-law. Grasses grew seasonally. And in a real sense, here he is. He feels forgotten. He feels maybe abandoned, but God. But God breaks into his life in a most unusual and supernatural way. Some of you may read the passage like this and go, that didn't really happen, did it? I believe God's word to be 100% and totally accurate and true, so I'm gonna believe it at face value. He sees a bush that's burning and is not consumed. I don't know about you, but if I saw something like that, I would probably go, I got to see this, right? You look at it and go, what in the world? How can this be? And he makes the turn and goes over into that area to see that. And as he makes that turn, he hears a voice. Okay, it was weird to start with, right, with a burning bush. Now we got a voice. You might think he's been in the sun too much. Go cut your grass tomorrow about noon. And you might get a vision like this too, right? I don't think that's what's going on here. But can you imagine the moment as he steps over here and God speaks to him? He spent the first 40 years of his life as a foreigner uh, living in the Egyptian system. He was dressed like an Egyptian. I can imagine he wore the makeup like an Egyptian. He probably looked like an Egyptian, except the people who knew him knew he wasn't Egyptian. And then he spent the next 40 years from 40 to 80 with a Midianite family who are pagans, and there's no way to cut it any other way. They were, and he raises two boys through that system, and he's going through life thinking, it is, this is it. Man, I've, I've accomplished nothing in life. I'm a nobody. But he comes face to face with God, the God of his father. I found that interesting as I read it this week and studied this week. I'd never noticed that. I've always heard it, the God of, uh, of, of uh, 
Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, but his situation, it actually goes back and says the God of his father. Somewhere along the way, mama and daddy had some influence on him to know that their God wasn't the gods of the Egyptians. And into this moment, he has a life-altering experience and he's about to discover this great vision that God has for his life. And he comes face to face with God and he hides his face and he's there in that moment and you think, wow. But the story goes on. Moses then experiences God's deep compassion. Look at verse seven. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's a big vision, isn't it? And Moses said, let's go. Moses responded, probably like many of us would. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God said, but I will be with you. And this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, let's look at this. The initial shock of seeing a burning bush that doesn't burn and a God speaking to you that you can't quite see has got to be wild. And then God continues and shows Moses. He goes, my people, I care about them. My people, I love them. I want them to have the very best. And God has not turned a blind eye to his people. Now, you're stopping, if you're stopping to do a little math with me, they've been there about 400 years at this point. This is uh, 2022. If you back up 400 years, you would be in 1622. Columbus would be sailing around the Caribbean looking for gold. That's how long it's been. Let that sink in. They have been in Egypt that long. And this feeling for them is what? God's abandoned us. We've just been left down here. He doesn't care. And now the Egyptian administration's changed and things are getting ugly. But God is telling Moses, no, 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 no. I have not ignored my people. I know exactly where they are. I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly what they're facing right now. I have not turned a blind eye to them. And though the Egyptian leadership has changed, the secular historians, and y'all know I've got to be careful when I talk the word history, but, but their secular historians have said there was probably a coup that happened in the Egyptian administration sometime in those 400 years that the, the, the leadership was changed from one group of people to another. And when any time there's an administration change, sometimes the way we deal with certain situations and issues changes. And that's probably what happened here. Very 
understandable. And these people were not aware of the blessings that God had brought to his people, through their people, through these Hebrews. They didn't care about the relationship that they had built over the years with them. They did not understand the blessing that the people of Israel had been to the Egyptians. And what they did see is this. Man, there's about two million folks over there. If they decided to rise up and attack, we'd have a big enemy right there. So we got to control them. Thus, let's take out the dads, the men. Let's minimize the population growth. Let's deal with that situation. That's how Moses ended up in Pharaoh's house. But God, but God saw the affliction of the people at the hand of the leaders of Egypt. But God saw the serious sufferings at the hand of their taskmasters. But God saw the need to fulfill his promise to Jacob years ago to deliver his people. But God saw the opportunity to return the people to a better focus. Please understand the God of the universe works on his own timetable, his own time schedule, in his own way. And this is the moment he says, the time is now. And I'm gonna use you, Moses. I'm about to move in a mighty way. I have not forgotten My people, I love them. Now, if you're Moses and you've just heard this, you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm not the guy. There's no way I can do this. Verse 13 kind of goes on with Moses' confidence. Moses embraces God's amazing provision, though he does it somewhat tentatively. Notice this. Then Moses said to God, but God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, three I am's. Okay, and I've got to watch my time, but I want you to catch these three I am's. The first one is this. I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said, verse 15 to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage in that section for the sake of time, but look at this. The big plan that God has laid out for Moses is, Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. You're going to go talk to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh's going to let your people go. Yeah, real easy, right? Piece of cake. But Moses goes, I got some questions. Wouldn't you? If you saw a bush burning that didn't burn up, and if God speaks to you in that moment and he says, here's what I got for you, wouldn't you have, I'd have some questions. He thinks to himself, why in the world would those people in Egypt ever follow me, your people? Remember, Moses remembered his past. You remember Moses has had, a, well, don't we all have a past? He had a past, okay? He recalled the moment that he killed the guard. Now, did he enjoy it? Did he hate it? Did he? I don't know. It doesn't matter, but he remembers it. You know, sometimes even something that's a bad thing in our lives, we do remember, don't we? He remembered that moment. He remembered the feeling of the sand as he pushed it aside to hide the body so he could try to get away with it. He remembered the sensation of having taken a life. I'm sure braving nightmares from time to time. You can imagine killing someone. 
what it would do to you psychologically. And even if, and it was, I think, justified maybe, he realized the sheer terror when he realized even everybody knows what he's doing, the slaves did. Why would the people of Israel, the people living across the river, the Hebrews ever listen to him? In his understanding, he was absolutely not worthy. Oh my goodness, y'all with me? He wasn't worthy. Y'all ever feel that way? God says, I got something for you. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this ministry. I want you to serve here. I want you to do this. And you go, God, I'm not worthy. God gives him three progressively larger descriptions. The first one, he says this, I am. What he's saying there is basically this. The one who sent me is the one who comes to pass. And we could dig into that for about an hour, but y'all wouldn't tolerate that probably. Second, he says, I am has sent me to you. And what he's saying there is, you're not coming on your own accord. This isn't your idea, Moses. This is my idea, God says. You're going for me. You're going to speak for me. And then third, he says this, the God of, uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered. What he's saying is this, you're not gonna be led by some new God. Moses isn't showing up with the Midianite God, the the false God that his father-in-law and his wife and all them have been a part of. He says, no, no, this is a new, this is not a new God. This is the same God that led Abram out of Padanaram. This is the same God that brought Isaac into the land. This is the same God that brought Jacob and all of his sons and families and brought them down here 400 years. This is the same God. And into this moment, Moses embraces the amazing provision that God has an amazing vision, a big vision for him. And God was about to do something stunning in their lives. I think if Moses had been given the full picture of what he was about to go do in Egypt, and y'all read the stories, it goes on for chapters and all the plagues that would come on the land and all the death and destruction that would happen and the way God would open the waters for them to get across and all the things they were about to go through for the next 40 years, he might have said, I'll pass. But when God breaks into a life, the moment of decision arises, meaning weak, flawed, frail humans like Moses, like you and me, have to choose to be a part of his plan. Moses, I think, embraces the provision, though he doesn't really understand it fully. Fourth, God, excuse me, Moses expected God's mighty deliverance. God goes on and tells him some more. Look at verse 19. But I know that the, the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So, God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you will not go empty, but each woman will ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Now, some of you may think, well, that doesn't seem very good. Hang in there with us. So the big picture is laid out for Moses. God's size vision presented. God adds he expects Moses to receive this amazing offer of deliverance. And then God says, guess what? They're not gonna let you go 
unless they're compelled by a mighty hand. Let me give you all a paraphrase if I could of that. This is another way of saying God will have to force Pharaoh's hand on the matter with some pretty serious consequences. It's going to get ugly before it gets better. Notice the path forward would consist of at least four major actions. Let me give them to you real quick. They're in the text. I'm sure you can see them. First of all, God knows the hard heart of the Egyptian king. Let me just remind you, our God is bigger than any politician ever on planet Earth. And he can see their hearts, he can see their minds, and he can see what they're going to do. And he can move in miraculous ways to change those things in his timing. See, he knows what people are thinking. He knows what they're willing to do to go into fight. Nothing surprises God. You know, there's not a thing you can do to surprise God. Give it a shot. God knows and foresaw the stubbornness of the king of Egypt. He says, we're going to do something about it. Second, God would strike Egypt with mighty signs and wonders. If you read on the story, it's a just a fascinating series of things that God does. And it may seem odd to us, but God can and does bring suffering to accomplish his will. Well, that makes you think sometimes. I see, I believe that the most dangerous place in life is to be standing against the perfect will of God revealed. If you know it's God's will for your life, you got to do it, right? You can't just sit back and go, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Third, God will give his people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Now you, you read this and you go, these women are going to go to their house and they're going to get silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. They're going to put on their kids and they're going to walk out of town with it. Isn't that stealing? But when God tells you to do it, it's God's will. We can debate the morality of that another day. I'm going to tell you, that's a tough one, okay? But the inhabitants of this land did not accept that these were God's people, that God had blessed them and that God was doing something in their lives and that God was about to do something amazing. God can open any door he wants to open. He can adjust any thinking he wants to adjust. And it may take us doing what God tells us to do. And then fourth, God says, I want you to plunder them. And you're going, what? Surely that's a typo, right? That's got to be a typo. It's not a typo. You know why? It's in the Bible. It's not a mistake. We may not understand it, but it's there. This favor led the people of God to ask for these things to take them. And what they're doing, I want you to catch this, because I did a little study in the, in the Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not even an English scholar. Anyway, uh, when we struggled, I, wanted to, I, I dug into the word because the, the people who lived in Egypt, were the, the Hebrew word is mitz, mitzrayim, mitzrayim. And you're going, why is he teaching us Hebrew? It, it, it's actually translated from Egyptian to Hebrew, Jewish, Hebrew to our language, okay? It goes through a, a permutation. But these were the sons of Ham. You know with me? Some of you are going, uh-huh. Got bacon? No, not that kind of Ham. I'm talking about the people who were not part of God's will. And God is going to give them this vision and he's going to give them the provisions and he's going to bring about something in their life that is going to be a blessing to them and ultimately a blessing to 
me and you as God brings his people back. Three things I want you to see and I'll wrap it up. Number one, God still breaks into our lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the God of the universe can step into your life and speak into your life and say, here's what I have for you? I think a lot of us go, oh, he just, he's just out there. I just do my religious thing and we're okay. Now, following Jesus, and we're going to go New Testament here, but I want you to hear this. Following Jesus is about listening to the voice of God and the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We are so blessed in New Testament era to have the Holy Spirit dwelling not around us somewhere, showing up occasionally and speaking to us, but he lives where? Within us and speaks to us, and God can break into our lives anytime he wants to. It would have been easy for Moses to expect the rest of his life was going to be what? Tending sheep for his father-in-law. I'm living here in the back country, and I got a bunch of sheep. Yuck. And God says, I'm going to stay. How many of you have killed people? Don't, don't answer that out loud, please. Moses had killed a man. You're thinking, well, anybody, he's disqualified from God ever using him, Right? Mm -mm. God can take any of our pasts. Listen, oh, he can break into our lives and say, I've got something for you. I've got a place for you to serve, a ministry for you. You may, well, I may not be able to do this. You may not, but you can do what God has for you. I find it comforting God can do that. He can break into our lives. Moses had been living the past 40 years away from civilization, away from the crowds of people, tending sheep, which was the most disgusting thing an Egyptian would have ever done in their life. And God says, you're the man. Why are we so easily convinced God cannot and will not move in our lives? Does God love you? I don't know. Let me answer that for you. Yes, he absolutely loves you. And he has something for you in life. He says, I want to break into your life and I'm going to guide you. You're going, but I don't want to lead people out of Egypt. Me either. Unless it's God's will. The God of the universe has a plan for each of our lives beyond what you and I can ever begin to imagine or comprehend. All we have to do is listen and then do. I'm reminded of the words of James. He said this, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit, trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What's God willing for you? I think sometimes we act like God doesn't care. We don't believe he cares. We don't really know if he exists. But the big picture today is God knows everything about you, and yet he still loves you intimately and deeply. And he has something for you. Second, God desires the best for us. If you really want to get personal, mark out the word us and put the word me on your notes, those of you who are note takers. God desires the best for me. Yeah, your best may be different than my best. Your plan, God's plan for you may be different than God's plan for me. There's always a lot of things that are in common. Don't misunderstand. But I'm talking about the, spe the specificity of God moving in our own individual lives. And some of you might look at this passage and think to yourself, but wait, 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 
Patrick, have you read the passage? Did you even study that thing? Why did God leave Moses in the wilderness for 40 years? 40 years. Some of you are 40 times 2, okay? But most of us aren't that old yet, all right? Right? And you're thinking, 40 years? For some of you, that'd be all your life. You're thinking, I just now turned 41. I've been in the wilderness for all my life. 40 Maybe a better question is this. Why does God ever invite flawed people like us to participate in his purpose at all? But he does. And he doesn't just want us to get by or do well enough. His desire is for us to thrive and to succeed and to be effective in the kingdom. He wants the best. I suspect that's part of what the writer in Proverbs meant when he said this, whoever gives thought to the matter the word good is kind of the idea. It's not the, the good stuff. It's the, the, the issues at hand. Whoever does uh, the word word, excuse me, the word, the word word means the idea is the thought, the issues at hand. Whoever gives thought to the matter at hand, what's going on right now, will discover good and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. What God is doing in Moses' life was going to bring about a radical shift, not only in his life, but in the lives of everybody around him. He wouldn't travel from pasture to pasture, making sure his father-in-law's sheep got fed. No longer would he be in the backcountry away from civilization. Instead, he would be in the middle, in the middle of a conflict as the voice of God. Wow. He was about to take a turn for the amazing. Can can, Can you catch that? He's about to go do something wow. Not because he's wow, but because God's wow, right? God's amazing. Let me ask you this. Where is God speaking to you today for your place in his grand economy? You go, what do you mean grand economy? What's, What's his place for you in the kingdom? You go, well, I show up Sunday and sit in the pew. Is it that good enough? I think that's a good place to start. But the kingdom of God is not about being entertained. It's not about listening to a guy talk for 30 minutes, hopefully no more a week. It's about us being the people of God to neighbors, to friends, to relatives, to associates at work that need the love of Jesus in real ways. One more thought and I'll wrap it up. God delivers right on time. Right on time. You know, it would be very human for us to ask the question, well, how come God didn't get Moses back there sooner? Did he not realize his people were suffering? Did he not know they were having a hard time down there? Did he not know they'd become slaves under these new rulers that had taken over Egypt? Did he not know? Did did God know what was going on? Yes. It's not a matter of God knowing. It's a matter of his timing. You can answer it a lot of different ways here. Maybe it's possible Moses wasn't ready. He'd grown up a place of honor. He'd been treated like royalty. He'd had to run for his life. He'd had a traumatic experience. He'd committed murder. Maybe, God, maybe he had to get ready. Maybe it's possible that the people uh, down in Egypt living in captivity, they weren't ready to be delivered. You know, sometimes you take what God tells you to do and you go to a people and they go, I'm not doing that because they're not ready. But in the fullness of time, the moment came for God to deliver his people as he had promised. 
He would. Remember the words of Solomon. He said, everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. He went on to describe the timing of God in various things in life, which is a reality we need to grasp. God always keeps his promise, but he doesn't win on our time or his time. But, uh, but I want it on my time. Yeah, me too. But I'm learning that God's time is way better than my time. His plans are way better than my plans. See, I believe God wants to give you a vision for your life, a vision that says, here's what I think he has me to do and to serve. You go, does that mean I need to go eat, lead people? Eat? No, you don't have to do that unless God tells you I'm gonna lead you to lead people out of Egypt. That's not your deal, okay? You've got something else. But if you're going to find God's vision, where does it start? You've got to know God. Do you know God? And if you know God, are you listening to God? So the invitation this morning is real simple. If you're in a place in your life where you've never trusted God, he's got something for you right now. It's salvation. For many of us in this room, it's not the first step. It's the second step or the 22nd step that we need to take. Where have you stopped God from working in your life? What does he have for you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day you've given us to come together and to sing praises, to worship, and to be in your house. We pray your hand to be on these few moments as we respond, whether publicly or privately, to your word. God, we believe your word never returns void, and we thank you for that. And we thank you that you call us to be a part of your kingdom service. In Jesus' name.